Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, May 19th, we are studying Romans chapter 9, verse 30 through 10, verse 4. In today's text, the apostle transitions from themes of God's sovereignty and Israel's rejection of Christ in the preceding chapter toward the theme of God's gift of faith through his word in the coming chapter. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sam Wargau. Pastor Wargau serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wargau, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good to be back with you. As we get started this morning, Pastor Wargau, give us some context here in the book of Romans. In these chapters, chapters 9 through 11 form a bit of a unit, and we're kind of right in the middle of, of Paul's argument. He's making a move from one section to another. What do we need to know going into today's text? Yeah, this is a really important, really nine's a good transitional point. And then when you get to the end of nine, you see him transitioning to what he's going to talk about in 10 and 11. So this is really a, one of the key spots. Broadly speaking, you can look at what kind of the entire theme of this whole letter is, which I mean, probably kind of been hitting on quite a bit, but it's always good to go back to that. I think really the theme falls in, in the first chapter right there, just a little bit into the first chapter where where Paul says in, in uh Romans 1, 16 through 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then chapter 9 is kind of a transition, and up to that, up to chapter 9, Paul's been establishing this um, doctrine uh, in speaking about uh, this basis of the Christian faith, the righteous live by faith in Jesus Christ alone and not by works of the law. Uh, he he talked earlier and previous in the in the in the in the letter about um, life being you know throw, it's got temptations. You got to talk about the old sinful nature, Romans six, and you know dying to sin and and rising again to new life. Uh, and that Christ gives us the victory through the Holy Spirit. Uh, chapter 8 has got some pretty well-known passages that we like about um, uh, nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And then when you get to 9, though, it's almost like Paul's mood changes a little bit because he's going to be focusing now on this um, righteousness th- uh, by faith, uh, uh, righteous living by faith in Christ has been rejected by the ones to whom it was promised in the first place to the Jewish people. And Paul, you know, you see that in nine, Paul's kind of anguish over this, his sorrow that such a great gift has been rejected. And in that same line of, um, when he's writing about this, he talks about uh, in that sense too, also those who are um, uh, elected or, or chosen for this. Uh, uh, and then talking about how God is not unjust. Uh, God's word did not fail because the Jewish people rejected it, but um, that, of course, God uh, has, um, his will has been done. But um, so, so, so kind of when you get into nine, it's, I don't want to say it's a downer, but you're dealing with kind of a hard thing, even for Paul to talk about uh, with the sorrow and the Jewish people rejecting Christ, the nation of Israel. But then you start seeing very clearly what kind of comes up here is what Paul's going to talk about to emphasize even more the importance of this article of faith, the righteous shall live by faith. Really the article, the the doctrine of justification, and to put that in contrast to the problem with um, the people of Israel who rejected Christ is that they would find, they would seek their righteousness by way, by way of the law. Let's go ahead then and, and read the text. So that was a good summary of, of what we've encountered so far. What we've got in today's text, I think, is one of the clearer parts of this section 9 through 11. There's some really challenging stuff. And not that this isn't challenging or, or it's, I'm not saying it's unimportant, but I think that this is one of the clearer spots in this section where, where Paul really lays it out very succinctly and clearly what he's been saying 
and what he's going to say coming up here in chapter 10 particularly. So Romans 9, beginning at verse 30, Paul says, What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That's the text for today, Romans chapter 9, verse 30, through chapter 10, verse 4. So, Pastor Wargau, the, the text starts with this question that Paul has asked elsewhere in the book of Romans, what shall we say then? This is a, a mark of transition for Paul, particularly in Romans. Right, exactly. It's a, it's a transitioning from one theme to another. It's kind of a rhetorical question in which he kind of takes what he had previously said to to, to bring us into the next part. So I like how you said that. It's some of the things Paul has, has written about earlier, and especially in nine, are kind of kind of tough to decipher and kind of difficult to, 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 to chew, but they really make sense when you, when you bring forward what, what he has here with this transitional part, what then shall we say? So, so previously Paul had been speaking about God's chosen people, Israel rejecting uh, the promise of God by and large, uh, not because the word of the promise of God had failed, but because the people had rejected uh, the one in uh, whom the, the promise is fulfilled. That is, that is Christ. Now he's going to talk about this in relationship to the to the Gentiles with this with this just kind of beautiful, especially verses uh, thirty and thirty one. This this beautiful contrast to really hold up this distinction between law and gospel and this uh, proper understanding of what justification is and what it means, what it means to be to actually be righteous. Uh, and so we do have this distinction or this um, uh, the, these two things that are being held up here. Uh, and we need to properly understand what, what this means because sometimes uh, we use Israel uh, in, in, in different ways. Uh, and so Paul here talks about Israel not as, in this point, he's talking about the Jewish um people, that is, uh, the, the nation, the people of Israel, the people to whom the promise had been given, uh, and not how he'll use it other places when it deals with the new Israel as as the church itself. Uh, so it's important to keep that in mind here as we kind of move forward, because he's he's contrasting, and, and this isn't even contrasting uh, like the people of Israel in the Old Testament who were looking forward to the promise of, of the Messiah, but this is those who rejected Christ uh, and rejected the fulfillment of the law uh, uh, in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Mm. Right. And, and so just to, to clarify that when it comes to Israel here in verse 31, that's what we're talking about, the use of Israel in verse 31. So you're, you're saying, Pastor Rogel, when we hear Israel here, we should understand those who are related to Abraham according to the flesh, they could trace their descendant, they could trace their ancestry back to Abraham in a family tree, but particularly those who rejected Jesus within that group. So not even all of Israel according to the flesh, but here specifically Israel according to the flesh that rejected Jesus. Am I understanding that correct? Right. I think so, because what Paul's talking about here is those who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. That's how he kind of defines who this Israel is. Now, we know that not all the descendants of Abraham, not all the Jewish people, uh, pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, that they, in fact, received Christ. I mean, the book of Acts is really full of this with Paul's 
Peter and Paul's preaching, the apostles preaching throughout. They go to the synagogues. Jew and Gentile hear this. The people of Israel and the the Greeks or the other nations hear this. Uh, Some believe and some reject on both sides of the equation, both for the people of of Israel, the the, the Jewish people and the Gentiles as well. Uh, But then when you have those who... who, believe Christ, uh, who believe the word of Christ, who have faith in Christ Jesus, uh, who then are Christians, will also use that term as the the new Israel, because this is really the fulfillment of, of, of all that Old Testament people were all about. It all looked forward to Christ fulfilling it and the, the, the new covenant that would come about through the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. And the, and the way we would, I mean, the reason we would say that this is what we're talking about in terms of Israel here is because of the context in which Paul uses it. He's got Gentiles and Israel, and he specifies that this is the Israel who pursued the law that would lead to righteousness, but didn't succeed it because they didn't pursue it by faith, which we'll talk about. But that context is what tells us that this is what Paul means by the term Israel here, rather than just assuming that we know what he's talking about. Because as you said, he does use that term in different ways. Sometimes it's it's Israel according to the flesh as a whole. Sometimes it's Israel according to faith, right? Those who share the faith of Abraham, which has nothing to do with with your bloodline. So we, we need to pay attention to the context. And you've you've laid that out well for us here as to what Paul's talking about. Now he gets to that Israel second. He starts by talking about the Gentiles in this summary. And he says that the Gentiles, they didn't pursue righteousness but they've attained it. They've attained a righteousness that is by faith. So there are several things we should talk about here, Pastor Wargau. First and, and foremost is what is this righteousness? That's a key term for us in the book of Romans. You laid it out that the thesis statements back in chapter one, that you've got the righteousness of God. What What is the righteousness that we're talking about? Yeah, I know, because if you get this wrong, you really get the whole thing wrong. And I think it's really important for us to kind of start with our defining our terms here and what we mean by righteousness when Paul uses it. This is a salvation word. I mean, this is a this is a word uh, really falls in the same line when we talk about justification and righteousness, the Greek word dikaiosune. Uh, uh, and it really does have to do when we're dealing with righteousness before God, uh, it has to do with our, our standing before God. You know, how do we as as sinners stand before a just God? It's, it's kind of the foundational question. It's really the, uh, the, the foundational doctrine, central doctrine of the Christian faith, right? How does one stand before God and have eternal life? How is one saved. And and Paul is clear here and elsewhere. I mean, this is a huge theme for Paul in in Romans and in Galatians and even in Philippians and in all these pastoral or Paul's epistles, his letters to the churches to continue to maintain what is the proper understanding of justification? How do we understand this righteousness of God? And the best way to understand how we stand before God is, is understanding Christ's righteousness uh, versus righteousness by way of of the law, and 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 Paul lays that out pretty clear. When we compare those two things, only one really wins out, if you will. Only one really can give us the assurance. One of them is true. This is how we do have righteousness. This is how we do stand before a just God. So again, yeah, this is right at the beginning when Paul's talking about this. Uh, for in it, in the gospel, Romans 1, 17, he says, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so how is this righteousness obtained? By faith. And then in Romans 3, 21 and through 24, I'll just read that because he talks about it here too and, and sets up this, this uh, early on in the letter. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So so this, again, is important. We're talking about righteousness. We're talking about our standing before God. And we're talking about how do we stand before God? Do we have a righteousness from the law? Do we stand before God because of our works? Are we saved because we've kept the law? Uh, or are we saved through Christ's redemption, his righteousness, his perfect uh, obedience, his suffering and his death, uh, his, his payment for sin, which is now then given to us and received by us uh, through, through faith? 
Uh, a couple other passages, I think, and this is a really fun thing. If you ever want to just do this, I, I found it really helpful. Read Romans and then all of it, and then read Galatians, all of it. <laughs> and if you got time, read Romans and read Galatians again, because it's so neat to see how Paul's speaking to the, the Christians in Rome and the Christians in Galatia, and and even in different kind of circumstances, but how this 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 uh, intricalness or this uh, this this uh, uh, importance of the of righteousness of Christ's righteousness of justification by grace through faith just permeates both letters uh, in such a way that you can read the two of them together. It's just it's just really beautiful to do that. Galatians two sixteen. Uh, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. There in Galatian, I mean, Paul's talking about the Judaizers, the Christians who had uh, said, well, yes, faith in Christ, yeah, that's that's what it's about, but yet you still need to be circumcised. You still need to observe the law. And it's very similarly when Paul's talking about Jew versus Gentile here, uh, it's still the same kind of understanding, not by works of the law, which Israel had been pursuing uh, righteousness by works of the law, but by faith alone. Hmm. What what really stands out about the Gentiles particularly here, as the ones who attained the righteousness, is that they weren't pursuing it in the first place. They, it, well, I mean, I think the way we would say it is, is it was simply given to them. And that's the point of through faith. But they they weren't pursuing it at all, which is something that Paul has laid out for us earlier in this letter as well. Right, exactly. Even early on. I mean, the Gentiles didn't pursue righteousness. I mean, they didn't live according to the law. Now, they did have, Paul talks about, you know, in Romans 1 at 18, he talks about uh, the natural law. This this natural law is given to them. They have the law written on their hearts, right? They they should know, but they don't. And, um, and, and, and in particular, they hadn't been given the Decalogue. They haven't been given the Ten Commandments. They, they, they didn't have a lot of these things that the Jewish people had, which are good things, good gifts from God with this law that was given. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about that in a second. They didn't have those things. They were darkened. They were uh, uh, in darkness. And, and yet, yet, and this gets to, you know, God's um, election, God's foreknowledge, God's call to Jew and Gentile alike. Uh, they received this righteousness as a gift because they received, and we'll see here, this this is important. Just They received the gospel. They received the word by which then uh, God worked faith in their hearts to believe. And that's going to be a theme that comes up more in Romans 10. But even here now you see, how did they attain it? They hadn't pursued it. They didn't have the law or they didn't go by God's law. They weren't following this law, but they attained righteousness. And how did they obtain it? Attain it? They attained it through the, uh, through the word of God uh, preached and given to them. If if anything, it seems that the Gentiles were pursuing unrighteousness, in fact, which I, I think the more that I, I think about this and as, as we come, we move forward, particularly into the last verse of chapter nine, where Paul's going to quote a couple places from Isaiah, this matter of Christ being a, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Right here, what we see in this reality of the Gentiles being the ones who have, and, and again, not that there were, as we've laid out already, there were members of Israel, according to the flesh, who did attain this righteousness in the same way through faith. But but the fact that by and large, these are, are Gentiles who have attained this righteousness through faith, they were the ones that were pursuing unrighteousness. I mean, when you read Romans chapter one, particularly, it, it's some bad stuff that's there. And, and yet now all of that has been forgiven. It's been justified. It's been declared righteous, not because of anything they did, not because they changed and started pursuing it according to the law, but simply because of Jesus. And and that, I mean, that's that's a scandal. That's a stumbling stone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think, and that's going to be really the hang up. Like I said, I, I think what you see here is you see something so simple, yet something so complex. In, in this simple kind of formula that Paul lays out here, 
concerning the Jew and the Gentile, right? That those who 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 um, who didn't um, those who who did not pursue righteousness obtain it by faith, and the ones who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness couldn't obtain it, uh, couldn't reach it because it was based on works. I mean, it's a very clear, like I said, fundamental, foundational distinction of the Christian faith. This is what faith is about. Uh, and yet it is so complex because it leads to, you know, um, who who the who the Gentiles were in coming to faith. It, it, it really does. I always often think of, you know, this understanding of the righteousness of God uh, through faith, uh, the justification by grace through faith. You know, we talk about that as the foundation or the central doctrine, but so much everything relates to it. Everything goes to it because this is who we are in Christ Jesus. This is the ground of our faith. This is um, uh, how we are, how, we, how we're saved. This is what the whole scriptures from Genesis to Revelation are all about. Right, right. So we've got the Gentiles. Paul, Paul brings them up first. The Gentiles did not pursue righteousness, but they attained it because they received it through faith. And as you said, that that faith comes from hearing the word of God, which is where Paul, I mean, you can see how Paul is transitioning here from Romans 9 to Romans 10. That's going to be a, a key key text coming up in a, in a few days. Now then he goes to Israel and and you start to see this distinction that he lays out, this, this simple one and yet very profound distinction that you were describing for us, Pastor Rorgal, this, this matter of, on the one hand, the Gentiles receiving righteousness through faith versus Israel. And again, this is Israel, according to the flesh, who rejects Christ, Israel pursuing a law leading to righteousness, but they didn't didn't succeed. And so it, it seems that, that here the distinction is between faith and, or I'll say it this way, righteousness through faith versus righteousness through the law. Right, exactly. And th- this is the key distinction. I mean, it, it this again was what Paul hits on in Galatians too when he's dealing with the Judaizers. Uh, but he, he has the same kind of argumentation here, the same kind of uh, teaching here, because it's it's so incredibly important because when you, I often think of it this way, when you add works of the law plus faith to equal salvation, uh, you you don't get that equation. I put it another way. If you have works plus Jesus, uh, you end up losing Jesus and, and, and just getting the law, right? Uh, and so the reason I'm getting at this is because, again, this is Paul's argument uh, throughout this epistle and, and later, uh, because it really does come down to this. The people of Israel who had pursued righteousness by the way, way of the law failed to obtain it because the law can never lead to righteousness. And that's because we have a proper understanding of who man is, a proper anthropology of concerning sinful man, both for the Jews and, and for the Gentiles. These Gentiles hadn't pursued righteousness. They they like you said, Paul lays this out in Romans 1 pretty clearly, the wrath of God being poured out upon them, that they lived as if God did not matter, as if God didn't exist. They they, they disobeyed his law. They did not know God. They set up idols uh, in various ways because uh, that's what sinful man does. But then you have the Jews who had the promises of God, had the law, had the tabernacle and the temple and worship and all these things, and yet they could not obtain righteousness by way of these when their faith was not placed in uh, the Messiah, the one to come. The temple, the law was never given to give life, but it was given to God's people for their good, but ultimately, just as it's given to us now, to lead us to this Christ, this Messiah. So we don't find our life in the law but the law works. Paul talks, I think that this is in Galatians when he talks about it being a, uh, uh, a custodian, if you will. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it brings us ultimately uh, to understanding our sins and to seeing Christ uh, in his gospel. Mm, right, right. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is going to be the key for the reason that Israel, according to the flesh, missing this is because they, they reject Christ. They reject the one to whom the law pointed, the one who, as we'll hear at the end, fulfills the law. He is the end of the law, as it says in Romans 10, 4. In, in missing him, they've, they've rejected 
everything that God had for them. And that's that's really going to be the key. As as so often is true, it it comes back to to Christ and to him alone as the Savior. And we're going to pick up those themes on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFO. We're going to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Tuesday, May 19th, we're looking at Romans chapter 9, verse 30 through chapter 10, verse 4, with Pastor Sam Wargau of Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wargau, prior to the break, we were were talking about how Israel, and again, Israel, according to the flesh, who rejects Christ, the real problem here is that they, they miss Christ. They miss the way that the law pointed them toward Christ. And so, they failed to reach this righteousness that they were pursuing. They failed to reach it, I, I think, in two ways. They fail to reach it because they can't do it. As Paul lays out very clearly in the first part of Romans, you cannot do the law. The law demands deeds, and you don't, and ultimately you can't. So they fail to reach righteousness in that sense. And even worse, they fail to reach the righteousness that was there for them all along, which is the righteousness according to faith, right? I mean, that's what Paul says in verse 32. They didn't pursue it by faith, but as if as if it were based on works. Ultimately, the problem for Israel is that they missed Christ. Right, exactly. And I, I think that's important, something that you're picking up there, that we got to uh, be aware of, and this comes up again and again. Uh, so you might hit on it again. You might have hit on it before. But it's important to understand this 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 error we call dispensationalism, uh, and so this deals does deal with Israel, and it deals with uh, Israel in the Old Testament, Israel in the New Testament. But we have to understand the dispensationalism is kind of the idea that in different time periods, God dealt differently towards salvation, right? Uh, so God's righteous, uh, how we were, how Old Testament Israel was saved is different than how New Testament Israel or the Christian Church is saved, uh, as if to put it this way, as if it was in the Old Testament that it was by works of the law that people were saved, right? It was by the tabernacle temple, that by their sacrifices, by their um, keeping of the law that they that they had their salvation. But Paul's pretty clear about this, both in Romans and in Galatians. Go back to Abraham and talk about how Abraham was saved. He wasn't saved by the law. He wasn't saved by the law, but by faith. Abraham was justified by faith, just as every person who's ever been justified is justified. And that faith, again, has its object. That faith is in is in the Messiah, is in, is in Christ. And so properly understanding the law, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, is an understanding that the law always leads us uh, to, to, uh, to, to Christ in that sense. That I should say that the law is always for the purpose not to obtain righteousness, but the law shows us the, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, uh, but it ultimately shows us who we are as, as sinful men uh, that, that cannot keep the law. And so the real purpose of the law, or the work of the law is always, we talk about it as God's alien work, but it's always for the sake of his proper work, which is calling us to repentance and having mercy upon us and drawing us then, of course, to Christ and his righteousness and not our own. But for the people of Israel in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, uh, when they reject the uh, mercies of God found in the promise of the Messiah and then revealed in the Messiah, Christ Jesus, when he is, you know, uh, born, uh, lived, crucified, dead, buried, raised, and ascended, uh, when they reject that, I would even say, not necessarily that they miss it, but that they stumble over it, as we'll see here, that uh, that it becomes for them not their salvation, but a cause of, of stumbling or a scandal, uh, because it goes against then their um, 
their their uh, self righteousness, their self justification, their works righteousness, their keeping of the law, but they don't have the law right because that's never God's purpose in giving the law. God didn't give the law so that we would rely upon the law, uh, but God gave the law so that we would live as His people. But ultimately, not being able to live as His people, we would turn again to his mercies, ultimately found in his, his promise that we live in faith toward him, uh, and love to our neighbor. Mm. And, and that, I mean, the, this matter of faith and, and love, the law really is only kept through faith anyways. And, and Luther does a wonderful job of pointing this out in the small catechism when in each of the explanations to the commandments, you you get the same beginning or almost the same beginning. We should fear and love God so that, or in the first commandment, and this is where it really hits at home, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. That that ultimately, the, the law, the only way that it can be fulfilled is in faith. Because if you try to do it yourself, well, you've already broken the first commandment. You've set yourself up as God rather than letting God be God. And so, yeah, they they missed it because they missed Christ, and and that's where that's where Paul goes at the end of chapter nine. They've stumbled over the stumbling stone, and then he he quotes from two places in Isaiah. Take us into that that Old Testament citation that Paul gives us. Yeah, so Paul has it laid out here, and again, it comes from two places in Isaiah. But he says, "Behold, as it is written, behold, I am laying." In Zion, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Uh, this word is also uh, used um, in First uh, Peter two, a very similar passage, uh, quoting uh, kind of this uh, use of Isaiah's uh, these these texts from Isaiah. Uh, Peter speaking kind of in a different context again, but again, it's it's the same gospel message that we're talking about. It's the same Christ we're talking about, so it's it's no surprise. Uh, Peter puts it in First Peter 2. He says, it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Uh, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But then uh, these two passages from Isaiah where, where we kind of get what Paul's talking about here, Isaiah eight fourteen, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both house, houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then Isaiah 28, 16, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And again, uh, so so again, this is the idea that Christ as the rock, Christ is the stone. And, and you see two things happening with these stones, both in the Isaiah passages and then also how First Peter talks about it. Uh, this stone is either going to be for you, the cornerstone, the thing you know that you build your faith upon, the thing on which you stand uh, and find your find your salvation, or it's going to be a um, a stumbling stone, a scandal. It's going to be something you trip over or even crushed by. It's gonna it's it's not going to serve your good but your detriment in that sense. Uh, the the rock doesn't change. It, it's how the rock is perceived or believed, and, and this is really a thing. So so I, I think more and more it's not, it's not necessarily that. The problem with the Jews is that they they missed Christ, right? They did. It's not like they were ignorant of this, but Christ was them for them a rock of offense. Knowing the gospel message, knowing who this Christ is, they would not receive it because they would not believe that they were justified by faith in Christ and in His work. But they would be, they believe rather that they would they could be justified. Uh, by their works, the works of the law. And so again, the rock is either your foundation uh, by faith in Christ to understand that you're saved in no other way than Christ's work for you and his righteousness, which is given for you, which is the Christians, the the new Israel's foundation. Uh, Or it's going to be when you encounter Christ, you're going to be tripped up by him. You're going to stumble in your self-justification by way of the law uh, or your um, self-righteousness, your works righteousness. Uh, really, when you encounter Jesus, uh, you're never going to be the same. It's going to be, he's either, he's never going to be the same for you. He's either going to be your rock uh, foundation, or he's going to be a cause of offense to you. Mm, right. Yeah. I mean, the question that Jesus asks his 
apostles in in the gospels matthew 16 comes to my mind first who do you say that i am is the question that each one of us must face what what do you do with jesus this this stone that God has has set up. Right? I mean, this is God's doing in verse 33. I am laying in Zion a stone. This is this is the stone that God has put there. How are you going to receive him? Are you going to receive him in faith as the Gentiles who weren't pursuing righteousness did? Or are you going to receive him and reject him as those who would, would rather pursue a righteousness of their own according to, to their works? one stone, how how will you receive him? And again, this is where Paul is going to go in chapter 10, particularly with this matter of, well, then how does this faith that the Gentiles have, how did how did they get it? And and did does God want everyone to have him? Mean, he's going to start thinking about questions like that. But the 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 point is here's the stone. What are you going to do with him? Are you going to receive him? Or are you going to reject him? And I think, I mean, just just briefly, Pastor Wargo, because I do want to get to the first verses of chapter ten too. But this this matter of of Christ as a stumbling stone or a rock of offense is sometimes difficult for for Christians to understand how Christ can be that because for us he's he's not that he's he's the savior and, and we're filled with joy and thanksgiving at what God has done for us in him and and when we hear someone reject him it's I mean, I know this is this crosses my mind, and I hear people tell me that, well, Pastor, how how is it possible that they just don't believe? That doesn't make any sense. So, how is it that Christ is this stumbling stone, this rock of offense? Right. I mean, it comes down to like you said when Jesus asked his disciples, it's it's who do you believe this Jesus is? What do you? Uh, I think it was Doctor Scare, uh, Peter or uh, David Scare uh, from the Fort Wayne. Uh, seminary had a book a long time ago. I think it was in the 1980s, 70s or 80s, they came out with this book, What Do You Think of Jesus? But it gets really to the point because a lot of people believe in Jesus. A lot of people um, read have read his teachings and understand what they are. And But they might perceive Jesus as a good teacher um, or a teacher of moral righteousness or, you know, nice wise adages, or if you will, something like that. But again, to receive him as a savior from sin, you have to believe A, that he's true God, B, that he's true man, and C, that he was crucified, dead, and buried for your sins and raised again bodily from the dead on the third day. Paul gets in that later in Romans, much later, or not in Romans, in 1 Corinthians when he gets to uh, uh, for, uh, talking about the importance of the resurrection. So it's all kind of does tie in together because it's a matter of uh, understanding properly who this Jesus is as your savior from sin. Now we, we have to understand that this is the work of God. God lays this stone that he works faith in the heart through the preaching of his word, that he calls us and preserves us and keeps us in this one true faith. It's always, it's always God's work to do all of this, but we also uh, need to understand the tenacity of the sinful flesh, and even our own sinful flesh, which does war against our spirit, which is always striving to believe this into um, uh, our, our, our spirit, a uh, new man who, who wants to believe Christ and, and to receive what he has from him. We always have that old sinful Adam that's warring against that, to doubt God's word, to doubt God's promises, uh, to sow those seeds uh, in our lives so that we maybe don't think of Jesus as our savior from sin, uh, but but start relying upon our own works or our own good. Uh, that's where, of course, through daily contrition and repentance, as Paul talks about earlier, and, uh, and Luther talks about in the small catechism, but Paul talks about uh, being buried with Christ and raised again through baptism into death. Um, and so, so yeah, so so it's all about how you receive Christ, how you uh, how, what you who you believe this Jesus is, and what He has done for you, and that's why we are continually being reminded and being strengthened by this message of the gospel, which clearly lays out who this Jesus is. This is why we don't get over the topic of justification or the righteousness of God received, uh, Christ's righteousness received uh, through faith. Uh, we're always coming back to it because this is, this is the, again, the foundation, I keep saying it, but the foundation of our faith and who we are in Christ Jesus. Mm. Yeah, we. I mean, we always have to come back to it because, as you as you said, it's it's not just that Christ is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense for those people, but He would be that for me. My own sinful flesh wants to think that 
I can have something to do with my righteousness, with my standing before God, that he's going to look on me as righteous because of something that I do. My sinful flesh wants to believe that, wants to live that. And so we do constantly need this preaching of of justification so that instead of setting up my own works as the foundation and then stumbling over Christ, rather that God would put that sinful flesh in me to death in the waters of baptism and, and drown him again in daily repentance and contrition and and raise me to life and set my feet on the true foundation, Christ the rock, who I mean and, and think of think of how how that term permeates the Psalms in particular. I mean, you know, the Psalm Psalm 46, uh, God is our refuge and strength. He is our fortress. Um, uh, Psalm 62, and I can't, I can't quote it now, but, but God, I mean, it's, it's all over the Psalms. It's in, it's in the book of Exodus that God is our, our rock and our fortress. So this is, this is a key theme and, and it's not just, I mean, Paul has, has expressed it here as, okay, this rock for Israel has been a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. But you can also see as he continues, and we've seen it previously in the beginning of Romans 9, that this isn't, Paul doesn't delight in the fact that that some of his kinsmen have stumbled over Jesus and refused him. And in fact, he he prays earnestly that that God would cause their, their hearts to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's what he gets at there at the beginning of 10, um, that it's his heart's desire, his prayer, to God for them that they may be saved. This is the prayer of every Christian, right? Every Christian is always praying for the conversion of those who do not believe in Christ, who have not received him, uh, because that's what God's desire is. Uh, Paul picks this up in Timothy when he says, you know, uh, God doesn't desire the death of a sinner, but that all turn from their sinful ways and and live. Uh, God's desire that they be saved. He's not going to force himself on people though, right? Uh He's not going to force people to believe in him, uh, but uh, it is God's desire because God is good for those. He doesn't never, he never desires the death of anyone, the eternal death of anyone. Uh, and so that's Paul's desire too, right? So especially for Paul, you think even on a personal level here uh, that Paul was a zealous, um, a zealous Jew. I mean, he was, um, these were his brothers in Christ, or his brothers, I'm sorry, his brothers in the Jewish faith. Uh, and now uh, he sees how much more it hurts that he he sees that they have rejected Christ. And so he calls them, uh, when he's writing this letter, the Romans brothers, brothers in Christ, that is the Christians. This is, um, this, this is what he desires and what we should too also desire and what we pray for. Um, and then he goes on in, in verse two, he says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. I think this is really important to understand. Zeal, zeal is good. This idea of take, uh, having a, a zeal, to be devoted to it, to take it very seriously. Uh, he's not saying that the Jewish people were uh, didn't care about uh, the scriptures, didn't care about their history, didn't care about their God, but they had again stumbled over the promise and the fulfillment of the promise in Christ Jesus. So they have a zeal for God. They take these things seriously. Much like Paul talks about himself in Galatians 1.14. He said he was very zealous, extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers. And those things in themselves, zeal, the traditions of the fathers, and those kind of things aren't necessarily bad. The problem, again, of course, is always that stone. Uh, it is Christ. And understanding that zeal uh, understanding God, understanding that even the traditions of the fathers or or any of that kind of stuff uh, as, as pointing to to Christ. So that's why I think Paul says here in verse two, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, right? So they take their religion seriously, their faith seriously, but not according to knowledge. And here we cannot understand this any other way. Knowledge is talking about the person and work of the Messiah ultimately, you know, seen in, in what Christ, Christ had accomplished. Mm. Right. I mean, sometimes I think we hear the word knowledge and we assume like a head knowledge, but that doesn't seem to be what Paul's talking about here. The not according to knowledge is that their, their zeal for God was apart from Christ. As you said, I think you, we could even say is is apart from faith. I'm thinking back to, to how he laid it out in, in nine, 
32, that they didn't pursue the law by faith. And here they have a zeal for God, which, which on the one hand, Paul, it seems, speaks positively about that. But ultimately, this zeal that they have for God is apart from faith. It's apart from from the true knowledge of Christ. And for that reason, then, this zeal, which on the one hand, Paul would say, this is it's, it's good to be zealous for, for God in the right way. But here, the zeal that his kinsmen, according to the flesh, have, well, it, it actually ends up leading them apart from this true righteousness that God has for them through faith. Right, exactly. And that's why then he's going to pick it up here in 10.3 and and say flat out, this is ignorance. Literally, they don't have knowledge because they don't, because they're ignorant of the righteousness of God. They don't have this knowledge because they don't understand the righteousness of God properly, which is the righteousness found in Christ. And what they're left with then is to establish their own righteousness again by way of the law. I think this is important to understand because this is true for for, for everybody, not just the Jewish people, but in the, the Gentiles even who don't have Christ, the atheist who doesn't have Christ, it, it, it doesn't matter for all people. It, you're with, when you're without knowledge, you are seeking to establish your own righteousness. Now, it might look really different than the Jewish people or different than the Gentile down the street, but you're seeking to establish some sort of righteousness uh, apart from God. So, the, so again, there's no neutrality here. There's nobody who, who, who isn't seeking um, um, some sort of seeking to establish some sort of righteousness. The righteousness again might look different, but when it comes down to it, there's just one thing or the other: either righteousness found in Christ or righteousness found in some sort of sense of, of works of the law. Mm-hmm. The zeal that comes forth from these attempts at self-justification is. Is, is rather stunning at times. And, and I think you're exactly right to point this out, that as, as we think about this text, we don't want to just say, well, this is what Israel, according to the flesh who rejected Christ, that that's what they did, as if it's not a temptation that all sinful humanity faces. We, we all desire in our, in our sinful natures, we would desire to set up some sort of righteousness of our own. And when we start pursuing it, we start pursuing it with great zeal. And and we could, I mean, we don't have a ton of time. I want to get to verse four, but you can look throughout our society and see the zeal with which people pursue their own righteousness. Whatever righteousness they think that they can set up for themselves, they pursue it with great zeal. And, and Paul here turns all of us back back the right direction from repentance for that and rather to Christ who has, he says is the end of the law is how it's translated in verse four. Maybe it's a bit wider than that, a bit fuller than that. What do you think, Pastor Borgow? Yeah. The Greek word is telos. And I think some, a lot of people, even if they're not familiar with Greek, have this understanding of uh, understand telos. Uh, I've heard the term telos. Um, uh, it has more of a depth of meaning, uh, and in, in, in theology, this idea of telos in Christian theology does relate to this whole doctrine of justification, the distinction of law and gospel, uh, in a proper understanding of what, what we're meaning with Christ as the, as the um, uh, end of this. Um, and, and so here, this idea is that this is, um, uh, this is kind of the, the, the depth or the, I would even say, although there is a different Greek word, but it does relate to this Christ as the, the, the fulfillment of the law. So the end of the law, the termination of the law, not that the law has ended, but you find the the ultimate purpose of what the law was for in Christ Jesus. And again, that gets to the understanding of if you miss Christ, you don't see what the ultimate end of the law is. If the end of the law is your justification apart from Christ, that's not the proper telos. But when the telos of the of the of the law is Christ fulfilling that law for you and 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 God giving you Christ giving you then His righteousness, or you receiving Christ's righteousness through faith, then then you get to the proper understanding of what justification is and what we mean by the law being the end. We shouldn't understand law as the telos here either to mean that there is no longer a law for the Christian. That is to say that that the Christians doesn't have the law as we, pro- we commonly use it as a, as a guide for Christian living, or, or we don't need. To worry about the law as Christians because 
because Christ is the fulfillment of the law and, and, and delve into what we call antinomianism uh, or, you know, just completely doing away with with the law. But Christ as the end of the law really does understand that, that this is the whole purpose of what the law was for. And ultimately the law wasn't set up for you to save yourself, but it was so that Christ would fulfill that law for you and that you would receive his righteousness by, by faith. Yeah. I, I wonder, I mean, the word tell us uh, brings to mind John 19, where Christ cries out from the cross. It is finished to to telestai, this is, I mean, the same, the same Greek word, but in a verbal form there, Christ is the, the finishing of the law, the completion, the goal of the law, maybe that this is where, where the law was all pointing was to Christ, who is righteousness to everyone who believes exactly what Paul has laid out so clearly in the first part of, of Romans. Wow. Pastor Workout with just about minute and a half here before the program's done, give us a, a summary, wrap things up for us here in Romans 9 and 10. Yeah, I think what we talked about earlier was really good because we really do, Paul, Paul's kind of tying stuff together here and transitioning from 9 to 10. Uh, transitioning in his thought, but really does kind of put everything, put a nice bow on it. When he's talking about this fundamental teaching of the Christian faith uh, for the Romans and for the entire Christian church when it comes to this understanding of justification by grace through faith and then holding up even in the midst of his anguish and his sorrow over those who have rejected Christ, holding up this clear distinction between uh, law and gospel, between between Christ and works of the law, between uh, his Christ's righteousness for you received by faith and, and righteousness that's striven for by our obedience or by our uh, doing of the law or keeping of the law. And this is fundamental to our understanding of who Christ is for us, who we really are as those who cannot keep the law, and who Christ is for us as our Savior from sin. Uh, and and um, I was looking in our Lutheran confessions on this, and maybe I'll just close with this, because they quote Augustine, St. Augustine, uh, in his book On Nature and Grace. This is quoted in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 4, on, on the topic of justification. And they quote Augustine here, and I'm just going to go kind of towards the bottom to understand this. This is one line here from the quote from Augustine. For just as Christ is the end of the law, so Christ is the savior of corrupted human nature for the righteousness to all who believe. Again, nice that we use that quote here and it kind of ties everything together. That's what it means for Christ to be the end of the law, is that he is the savior of a corrupted human uh, nature uh, for the righteousness uh, to all who have faith, who, who believe in this. Pastor Sam Wergau is the pastor at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana, helping us this morning with Romans chapter 9, verse 30 through 10, verse 4. Pastor Wergau, thanks for your time today. Always a pleasure. God has set up Christ as a stone, as a rock. How will you receive him? Your sinful nature would stumble over him, seeking a righteousness of your own, according to your works. But this is not what has been given to you. The word has been preached to you. You have heard the good news that Christ is your Savior, and he is not a rock of stumbling for you. He is your foundation for salvation. All that he has done, that is your righteousness. That is your true standing before God. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.